Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Wide receivers always in the news. One running his mouth, another one making it rain, and a third getting his heart broken on television. Home and Home, a Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out, ZipRecruiter.com. Slash enter the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs in Connecticut. Ross Tucker's in Pennsylvania. We'll get into Tyreek Hill, OBJ, Andrew Pearson, and start with Tyreek ahead of the AFC championship game. The Chiefs wide receiver with some classic bulletin board material for the Tennessee Titans defense. Listen to what Tyreek said. Well, I feel like nobody in um, NFL can um, guard any of us. I mean, and that's no disrespect to nobody. That's just the confidence that I got, I mean, in myself and just the wideouts I got around me, including the tight ends and the running backs. I feel like no DB unit, no secondary unit, no linebacker or any defense can guard any of us. So man-to-man is just easy for us to beat. And if you just allow us to, to just run through zones, it's even easier. Tyreek with some classic bulletin board material ahead of the AFC Championship game. Last time these two teams meet, I continue to bring it up because it's relevant. Tyreek had 11 catches on 19 targets, 157 yards and a touchdown. Is he right, Ross? Is he stupid to say it? I think he's probably right, uh, whether it's, Man or zone, they are pretty fast. They're pretty special. We haven't seen many teams like this Chiefs team, that's for sure. I I don't think he's really smart to say it. You know, he didn't specify the Titans, but I would imagine that Mike Vrabel is pointing it out to the Titans. And this guy, yeah, you guys can't cover him. You guys can't stop him. You know, any little dig any little feedback you can get to try to just you know get those guys to to load their trigger a little bit more so to speak get them a little bit more amped up for that game Rabel's going to do that just like Belichick always does so I don't think that's smart I don't think Anthony Hitchens saying we're going to have to hit Derrick Henry low in the legs you got to shut off you got to kill the engine that's not smart either um, because, A, that could be construed as bulletin board material. You're going to kill the engine. And number two, it's kind of a strategy thing. I just go A and yeah. number two. Uh, I think I should A and number But it's kind of a strategy <laughs> thing. Like, okay, they're going to be diving at my legs. I'm I'm ready for that. They're going to go low on me. It just, it, you know, it's something that Belichick teams would not do. I can assure you of that much. I agree with you there, but did that stuff matter to you as a player? If a team was saying, look, that offensive line can't block us. We're going to we're gonna get to the quarterback 10 times tomorrow. Did that stuff actually matter to you ahead of a game? Or is it just shit we the media says? Oh, it matters. Yeah, it matters. Uh, you already want to perform well. You already want to perform your best. 
But when someone says something like that, I just feel like you get a little bit more of an edge during the week of preparation, a little bit more of an edge that that game day, and not only to perform your best, but also to light that dude up. Like, I don't know why you would ever say something like that if you're a D lineman. Because there are times when offensive linemen, like me, are freed up in pass protection. They're rushing four. We got five guys. I'm open. And I'm going to go put my helmet in your ribs as hard as I can and hope that I hear a crunch if you're going to be talking shit before the game. It's just stupid. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I like my ribs. I want to keep my ribs intact. I never said anything that might allow someone to tee off on me a little bit more than they normally would. But absolutely, I can remember a couple of times, even early in games, guys did dirty shit. I'd be like, okay, I told you this before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to get you now. Like, you don't know what play, but I'm going to get you. I mean, why? Why do you want to do that? Another wide receiver, some, well, some people think what he did is stupid. I'm going to tell you why it's not that stupid. Odell Beckham Jr., Cleveland Browns wide receiver, making it rain after the national championship game, handing out cash to the LSU players. Beckham, of course, an, um, uh, an alum of LSU. LSU initially said it was play money, it was fake money, novelty cash. Well, Joe Burrow went on a podcast and said, I'm not a student athlete anymore. I could admit that money was real money OBJ was handing out. So, of course, the NCAA folks in compliance are going to have to look into this. This is on LSU. Um, look, I'm, I'm going to back up what OBJ did here. I think OBJ took that moment, knowing all the cameras were going to capture this, to point out the ridiculous absurdity of the NCAA model that billions of dollars are being made by everyone involved in this process, with the notable exception of the players who are, of course, responsible for all that money being made. You're talking about $500,000 bonuses for coaches. Ed O, who won that game, a half a million dollars. So I think OBJ was doing something relatively smart and pointing out the absurdity of the NCAA collegiate model that these guys are not professionals, that they still can't profit from their name, image, or likeness. Am I stupid or is OBJ? Yeah, uh, both. You're, you're both stupid. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you phrased it that way. That is one of the dumbest things you've ever said on this show. That is ridiculous. Look, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't doing that to point out the absurdity and blah, blah, blah. No. He was just giving those guys some money and or trying to get some attention for himself, which he's very good at, which seems like uh, often the goal, certainly more the goal than becoming an all-time great football player. It's getting attention for himself. He's very good at it. What's absurd, Dave, is to put some of those players and his school in a position where now those players are going to have to give the money back to him, the guys that still have eligibility left. And now this is what we're talking about. We're not continuing to talk about LSU and Joe Burrow and the national championship. Now we're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. and him paying the players. I mean, how can you be that stupid? And I've seen other people tweet things like, 
well, you know, if you think that's bad, but, you know, you don't have a problem with Ed Orgeron and Dabo Sweeney getting bonuses, you, you guys are in the right church. You, you chose the wrong pew, okay? <laughs> this is the wrong time to stand on that hill. This is the wrong example. Uh, a player handing out cash in front of everybody on the field after the game and jeopardizing those players' eligibility? Yeah, that's that's the wrong that's the wrong one to die on right now. You should focus on other areas. OBJ, I'm going to give you a hand. Nice move, brother. All the stupid things you do, this is the smart one. You pointed out the absurdity of this ridiculous NCAA system, and maybe OBJ is the arbiter of change. Let's not forget it was Jose fucking Canseco that cleaned up baseball. Sometimes strange vessels, right? Another wide receiver, another thing you're going to disagree with me on, did something stupid. He's one of the all-time greats. He's Drew Pearson. He's the only member of the all-decade 1970s team that is not in the Hall of Fame. And we're talking, of course, about the Centennial Class and the NFL's Hall of Fame. It's been in the news because it's been making for some wonderful made-for-TV moments. Bill Cowher, Jimmy Johnson, both on national television, when they found out they were being inducted into the Centennial Class, it was wonderful. As a football fan, I loved both moments. There were tears, there was emotion, there was hugs. This is fantastic. Then they announced to the rest of the class yesterday on Good Morning Football and NFL Network, and some of the guys had, well, big parties to celebrate what surely would be their induction. Drew Pearson, former Cowboys receiver, was one of them, invited all the cameras, or at least allowed them to come in, had a big party, and when the moment was clear that Drew Pearson was not getting in, it was another made-for-TV moment, although not the one the NFL wants to be out there. Drew Pearson was angry. He was brokenhearted, and he said so. They broke my heart, and they did it like this. Later, he went on 105.3, our friends down in Dallas. You can find them on the Radio.com app and talked about the disappointment of not getting in. Listen. The uh, only thing I heard was from Shireen uh, Williams right. after the meetings were uh, – and after the meetings ended, you know, she said I uh, had a good presence in the room. She said a lot of people in the room spoke up for me. But, you know, the vote might have been splintered due to the fact that you had three wide, or maybe four wide receivers eligible for this opportunity. When they talk and discuss you in a room like that, uh, they talk negative things. I don't know. I can't think of one negative thing in my career that they could bring up. I've been told so many times, Drew, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I've been introduced over the years when I do an appearance or something as a Hall of Famer and everything. And I thought this was going to be a time, the time that I got into the Hall of Fame. But unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. If you haven't seen the actual video of the moment, check out Nui Scrubs' Twitter feed. Uh, it's been retweeted a million times. You can find it. Um, that was Drew Pearson, one of the all-time greats, the Cowboy receiver on 105.3 in Dallas. Look, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I agree with Drew Pearson. He certainly should have made this made-for-television centennial class. But if you don't know you're getting in, and if you're going to be brokenhearted if you don't get in, you don't have a watch party, Ross. 
Unless, of course, you think that's going to help you get in. Your thoughts? Well, I, I, I think it's actually genius on a couple of different levels. So, number one, if you're comfortable with your disappointment being shown, then I've got no problem with it. So, first of all, he's getting a lot of publicity from this date. And one thing we've known from about Drew Pearson over the years, he is sort of the Jerry Jones philosophy of any publicity is good publicity. His name is being talked about and in the news and mentioned more than any of the 15 guys that are getting in. He's the one getting all of the attention. So in terms of speaking engagements, broadcast appearances, things like that, Drew Pearson is going to be the winner out of this because he's getting the most attention. Secondly, all of this attention and the Hall of Fame voters seeing all the people at his house, seeing his disappointment, hearing people talk like you on this show saying he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just telling you, I would be stunned if Drew Pearson does not get in the Hall of Fame over the next three to five years. Stunned. Because this will be part of what makes him the seniors committee candidate. They will want to now write what they perceive to be a wrong, and he's going to get in. I think he benefits on both levels. Okay, I agree with you, but I, I'm not going to be brokenhearted for him because that moment went down on camera. So look, he wanted that moment to be on camera. And I think you're right. That was part of the strategy. You weren't a fan of the Centennial class to begin with. And we had the Hall of Famer Rod Woodson on Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl champ. And he said he wasn't a fan of it either because it kind of waters down the accomplishment of the guys that got in. Does what's happened over the last week make you like the idea or hate the idea? Um... Probably neither. I can see both sides, and I don't mm. often say that, but it's the case. Like, I don't, I don't really like the process. I don't like, like there, there is a process and bylaws for induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and they kind of just threw all those out this year and did what they wanted. And what concerns me when stuff like that happens, Dave, is what's to stop them from doing that again down the line? What's to stop them from saying, we're having a special centennial and three years Hall of Fame class, and we'd like to induct Ross Tucker. You know what I mean? Like people like, like you know, I'm joking, obviously, but I just don't like when they have something that's totally counter to the way they've always done it. On the flip side, I do think most of the guys that got in are deserving. I, I, I do think most of the guys that I know that got in, I thought, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Harold Carmichael should. Jimbo Covert probably should be in the Hall of Fame. So on the other hand, I, I'm happy for guys like that that are getting into the Hall of Fame that there aren't many people out there that would say they're not deserving of that honor.
You're right. You know, I, I don't like the idea, and I'm just going to state that. I don't like the idea of watering down the accomplishments of the guys that deserve to get in in those classes, but I can't necessarily point to a guy that did get inducted through this class and say he shouldn't be. And even the contributors I thought were terrific. I mean, Paul Tagliabue has got to be in there. Steve Sable has got to be in there if there's a Hall of Fame. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, the best way to see the country, how about going to an NBA game every day and making sure you're on the Jumbotron each and every game? And how the heck do you do that? How do you get the attention of the Jumbotron? What's the best way to get on camera and be celebrated? Is it costumes? Is it dances? Are there signature moves? What can you learn from David DeLooper 30 for 30 for 30 on Instagram Check out that feed and then come back for this terrific guest after a break. But first, I got to make sure you know all about ZipRecruiter. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they do not stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the following web address, ziprecruiter.com enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You ever been to a game and wondered, how do I get on the Jumbotron? Kids always trying to get the attention of those cameras. They want to be on that Jumbotron. Makes their day. Well, we've got the master of getting on the Jumbotron. David DeLooper set out, to get on the Jumbotron 30 different NBA games in 30 days. And he is documenting this on Instagram. Follow them. 30 for 30 for 30. A terrifically entertaining Instagram feed. And David will give us that master class and how to get on the Jumbotron in just a couple of minutes. It's a Thursday home and home. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter.com. The smartest way to hire in 2020. I'm Dave Briggs, home of Connecticut. Ross Tucker is in Pennsylvania, and the baseball sign-stealing scandal continues and continues to marinate throughout the sport and resonate through different cities. And now the biggest question this morning is, will the New York Mets fire Carlos Beltran? Beltran was the only player mentioned in the report on the Astros sign-stealing scandal, and one of the the masters who figured out this system along with Alex Cora. But the deal is nobody, as far as players are concerned, have been punished. Maybe that's because the Players Association. So why, in fact, should Carlos Beltran be fired by the Mets if no other players are being punished? My biggest problem with this story is there's no accountability on the players. Almost no talk about Altuve and Bregman and Springer and these guys that either cheated 
or knew their team was cheating and did nothing about it and won a World Series that way. Can't necessarily say that about the Red Sox players yet that won the 2018 World Series, but once we learn that investigation, we're going to out those players as well and talk more about them because it's these grown men that did this. There should be less talk about A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora and more talk about the players that pulled this crap off. Ross Tucker, some interesting words from a former Astros manager, Phil Garner, on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Want to get your reaction to what he said yesterday about this scandal. Listen. So, Phil, Mike Fires was the one who initially blew the whistle to the athletic on this whole thing. Mike Fires pitches for the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's play the Astros 19 times each season. Inevitably, Mike Fires is going to face the Astros this year. Obviously, he's not going to step into the batter's box against the Astros, so maybe it's a moot point because of the designated hitter. But what? how do you think Mike Fires is being viewed in this whole thing by the Astros? If you were with the Astros now, how are you looking at Mike Fires, and do you think Mike Fires ends up getting any sort of um, any sort of uh, unwritten rule retribution in this whole thing? No, I don't. That, that's kind of going out the window in baseball. The, the fact that you retaliate, the unwritten rules kind of thing, thats that's been lost uh, in the culture. Uh, I, I think that he'd be viewed as a rat. Okay, if it was a big deal for you, why didn't you bring it up while you were the Astros? Why didn't you step up and stop it? You're going to wait until you go another team? You're going you're to enjoy the fruits of the of, – if there's any success being had by cheating, you're enjoying that while you're the Astros. Then when you go away, uh-uh, I don't like that anymore. So to me, that's uh, that's not a very good standard. And I think most baseball players will look at it that way. Phil Garner, former Astros manager on Sports Radio 610 in Houston, calling Mike Fires the whistleblower on this entire scandal and the reason we are here today. Phil Garner calls him a rat. I call him the only person with any integrity in this entire process, Ross, and you. Well, but how would you address Phil Garner's point about that if he had that much, I mean, if he had that much integrity, why didn't he do it while they were doing it? He was a pitcher. He was a pitcher, and they feel like sometimes pitchers are on another island. That's why they stand out there and they sit in the bullpen. And I'm certain it was something that was eating away at him each and every day when he saw his teammates cheating and knowing that his brothers on other teams were getting cheated out there on the mound each and every time they stood out there and wondered, how the fuck did they hit that pitch? That was a perfect pitch. Look, and I also don't understand how Garner can feel sorry for A.J. Hinch and talk about how great a character he is. He's the leader of these men that, yes, didn't like what was going on and sometimes pushed back against it, but no one could have stopped this situation easier than the very manager that Phil Garner feels sorry for. Stop me with your fucking hypocrisy, Garner. Um, well, listen, let me take a step back. First of all, for fires... It's like he was cool benefiting from it when he won a World Series. Well, but how do you know that? Because he didn't say anything. Well, it's not that easy. You're, you can't sit here and say he was cool with it. He may not have been. He may, he may have been struggling with it. He was with cool it with it in day. the sense that he was cool with it in the sense that he didn't say anything about it. He was cool enough with it, right? I mean, he was cool enough with it, okay enough with it. 
that he didn't say anything on his way to winning a World Series ring. Now that he goes to another team, and now that he has to pitch against them, now he's going to be like, oh, no. And and by the way, I, I, I don't blame him for not wanting them to be doing it when I'm pitching if I'm him. But really, he could have just told his new teammates, and he could have just known, look, they're going to be stealing your signs. They got this camera. He could have just made sure his new teammates were aware of it and not gotten this whole thing going out at everybody. I do think it's interesting, by the way, that he did this publicly, Dave. Like, is it wasn't there, isn't there like an anonymous way he could have done this so that he didn't get his name out there like this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very surprised by that. Absolutely, he could have certainly been a an anonymous whistleblower and called someone in the league office and started this investigation. Um, but I also wonder, it doesn't appear to me that Major League Baseball was eager to do anything about this. I'd be stunned if Mike Fires blowing the whistle to the athletic was the first thing Major League Baseball heard about this shit. There is no way, man. The NFL puts people in every stadium and every game in, in dressing up as fans to try to check out the experience. You're telling me Major League Baseball never once heard garbage cans being banged on at odd times right before guys hit home runs? That's a bunch of bullshit. I, I can't tell if Mike Fires, though, ultimately helped clean up the game. Or did he hurt the reputation of the game further? Yeah, I would say it's, well, I I think it's both. But I would say it's more the latter. I would say it's more like, oh my gosh, that's why the Astros won it. That's why the Dodgers didn't win it. That's why the Red Sox won it the next year. I almost feel like, Dave, on some level, it'll be like what I talked about earlier in the show with NASCAR which is like the next team to win the World Series, it'll be like, I wonder what they figured out. I wonder how they're cheating. That's bad. When you get to that point where people believe that the only way you really become the winner is if you cheat somehow and you have some edge, that's not where you want to be as a sport because then all the other teams can justify whatever edges they take by saying, hey, we're just trying to level the playing field. Yeah, and it and it's a sport that's already struggling with with integrity issues and with attracting new fans and the ratings are down. There's a lot of of bad news coming baseball's way and this just makes things more difficult for them. And that's why some feel that the New York Mets have no choice but to move on from their manager Carlos Beltran as I mentioned, the one player mentioned in the report who along with Alex Cora the bench coach of the managers helped devise the system. Here's our friends at WFAN on what should happen with Beltron. Do you think Carlos Beltron should still be the Mets manager after what we learned yesterday? Uh, Yeah, I think that he should be, and I think that he will be. If he was some faceless kind of dude that maybe most people couldn't pick out of a lineup, then I think that it's an easier sell for the Mets, and they can say, listen, this guy, you know, was not forthright with us from the beginning or whatever, and we're going to take a stand here. We're going to go a different direction. This is Carlos freaking Beltran. What are they going to do? I would not fire Carlos. Right. I can't even I, believe it's I, a I conversation. Right, and, I, and I'm with you on that because he was a player. If the Mets knew about Carlos Beltran's involvement prior to the hiring cycle, 
would they have taken him seriously as a candidate? This is not a Mets cheating scandal. This does not stick to the Mets one way or the other. For me, for the way I look at it, this is a Beltron issue. And, and I know people lie all the time, all the day. He was flat out asked about it and painted a rosy picture of what transpired down in Houston. And we know basically he was the one that streamlined the cheating down in Houston. It'd be one thing if he was he was doing it as a player, right? He was helped streamlining it. It'd be another thing if really he was the guy in charge of the Houston Astros. The, then he was in charge of the Mets and he wanted to put this type of scheme in. Like, I think about it this way, oh, right? Then, yeah. then it would be over. If you're one of these people that says Carlos Beltran absolutely needs to be punished for this and it's up to the Mets to do that, then Major League Baseball needs to go back and they need to punish Carlos Beltran for it and every other player that was involved. Because just because he retired and got a managerial job doesn't mean that he needs to be punished more. Now, the question now, in terms of restoring his credibility, that's gone. I mean, Carlos Beltran was part of it, uh, just as Cora was, as Hinch was, as every one of those players who remained silent down there in Houston. They were all part of it. So that goes out the window. Our friends, WFAN in New York, check them out on the radio.com app. I agree with that prior take from Boomer Esiason. Why should Beltran be the one player who was punished here because he decided to retire and become a manager? Quick thought, do you think they should fire Beltran? I don't think they should fire Beltran, but it's a bad look for the Mets because it's almost like, well, the Astros wouldn't stand for it. And the Red Sox wouldn't stand for it, but the Mets are okay with it. The difference is he didn't do anything with the Mets and he presumably won't do anything with the Mets. So I don't think he should be fired, but I do think it's a little bit of a PR problem. It is a massive PR problem and spring training is just a couple of weeks away and it's the New York media who will not stop badgering them about this story. So they better figure it out and they better figure it out fast and come out with one strong statement. Here's what our decision is. They've got a guy, Steve Cohen, worth $13 billion, who is uh, coming into the ownership group. I would expect he may have the final word on this moving forward. We move forward with one of the most entertaining Instagram feeds today. It's 30 for 30 for 30. What is that? That is one fan, 30 Jumbotrons, 30 NBA games, 30 days. How in the world does one pull that off financially in terms of the travel? And how about the costumes? David DeLuper joining us now, the brilliant genius behind 30 for 30 for 30. Are you a lobster today or a crawfish? What's the costume, brother? Yes, today I am a crawfish. I am actually in New Orleans, and I'm going to be going to the Pelicans game tonight. Oh, you just missed the uh, Zion debut, which happens next week. So here we are on this journey. Um, Started on Christmas Day. Why did you decide you want to get on the Jumbotron at 30 NBA games in 30 days? Where did this idea come from? Sure. So the idea, it's it's been developing for about a year now, to be honest. And the biggest thing is whether your team's winning by 20 or losing by 20. If you see that one person that gets on the Jumbotron, they can change the entire atmosphere of the arena. So I thought that was so cool and I I had to give it a shot. Uh, I figured out the formula to kind of do it and I've just been trying to, to go 30 for 30 for 30 so far. What, what is the formula? 
Sure. It's a, I guess it's a self-developed formula, but there's a couple steps. Uh, one is you got to sit in the lower bowl, preferably a corner opposite of the team bench. This is because the cameramen are kind of tethered to that corner. Uh, second thing is you have to wear clothing of that team. So as a result, I've been able to wear a jersey or hat of every team, and that just helps you get on the Jumbotron to, to show your support. And then the other step is you got to have a costume or something, kind of kind of stick out and, and have energy. You know, everybody that's a cameraman wants to see that person that kind of has that extra energy. So that's it. And then uh, the fourth thing is kind of have some subpar dance moves. That's a, that's another big thing. I'm a, I'm a terrible terrible dancer but i have fun and and hopefully that shines through and and so far we're 22 for 22 getting on the jumbotron 22 for 22 you've been to philly and brooklyn and boston and dc and denver salt lake philly new york miami orlando atlanta la toronto it goes on and on and the costumes are brilliant uh, talk about that angle and how do you devise costumes for each and every game? Where do you get them? How much are you spending on the costumes? Sure, sure. So the costumes, the goal is to kind of resonate with that local fan base. Um, so, for example, in New Orleans, therefore, I am a crawfish tonight. As you can see in Brooklyn, I was also a hot dog and, you know, with Coney Island and, of course, the, the famous Nathan's hot dog eating competition. But for me, the costumes really i got them the day after halloween um i went to spirit halloweens i went to party cities and i just kind of flooded their clearance aisles and made it happen there and then there's been a couple uh i guess a, a couple emergency party city runs you could say uh for a wig or, or sunglasses or a cape or something just to you know if i if i accidentally didn't ship something in the right direction or, or whatnot so it's been a uh, it's been a grind, and it's been one of the more fun things about this journey is finding the costumes, choosing them, and then uh, taking pictures of some of the fans. It's it's been cool. All right, David, uh, where are you from? So originally, I'm from New Jersey, which I think is the best state in America, but I currently live in Philadelphia. Okay, and what what do you do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I, I do have a full-time job. I do communications for an energy, energy drink company. And uh, I had a bunch of paid time off and I was able to kind of take a small leave of absence. And, and here I am now. How long is the leave of absence? So the last day of the trip is January 23rd. And then I start that Monday following it. So I was able to take off essentially from Christmas day to January 23rd. So about a month. Okay. And like Dave asked you about the costume, how much are you spending on this whole thing? Sure, I mean, to be honest, it's been a, a pretty scrappy trip. Um, I started the planning process, I think it was August 10th or August 13th, whenever the NBA schedule came out, because that's when I needed to logistically plan out the map, like the route and the maps. And really the biggest thing is we try to fly to one area and then drive with a rental car to save money. but. In total, when you book a flight on Spirit, you know, three, four months in advance, it's, it's only $45 round trip. Um, so really, it's been a scrappy trip. And if you look right now, I'm in a, a friend's house. A lot of it has been staying with friends, with family, with all that. So it hasn't been a, a, a big investment yet, to be honest. A few thousand dollars, I'd say. So your Instagram feed is a huge hit. Uh, the Philly appearance, 90,000 views. MSG was 71,000 views. Minnesota, 80,000 views. Is that why you did this for Instagram fame? Or is there another reason that motivated you? 
Sure. It, it kind of comes back to, I love NBA. I love the basket. Like I love basketball for me. I played soccer my whole life. I played soccer in college. And after I played, after I graduated, there was a tough transition of kind of being an athlete to, I guess you could say, quote unquote, retiring. So as a result, I started playing pickup basketball and, and that's where I made my friends. And then I started to learn about the NBA and I started to fall in love with it. And for me, I learned throughout this trip, I always knew I wanted to go to 30 NBA games in 30 days and, and do that challenge. But for me, the biggest part about this trip is I understand the NBA is more than the players or the product on the court. It's about the fan bases. It's about the arenas. It's about the front offices that really make the environment for the fans. So that's been the coolest part of this journey. All right. So do you now alert the team somehow or do you say on Instagram what the next stadium is or arena you're going to? Yeah, so it, it's kind of picked up and it's gotten some momentum, which is really exciting. So I've had people reach out from teams being like, hey, where are your tickets? You know, uh, do you need tickets? All that. So, for example, I had a, a mascot of a team actually direct message me on Instagram saying, hey, I have some tickets if you want. Um, let me know. So it's been kind of funny like that. And, and luckily, the NBA community has been so supportive. Uh, we ended up, my buddy posted about us on Reddit actually a few weeks ago. And because of that, we got a ton of direct messages saying, Hey, I have tickets to the Detroit Pistons. Do you need any, do you need a place to stay? Can I take you guys out for dinner? We unfortunately denied a lot of those just because there were some odd requests, but the NBA community has been really supportive. And especially since people have found out about it, everybody's been great. All right. So what will you do if you go somewhere and you don't get, how many more do you have to do? Eight more games. Right now we're 22 for 22 of getting on the Jumbotron. All right, so what will you do if you don't get on the Jumbotron at one of these places? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair question. And for me, I'm still just having a great time day by day. If I don't get on the Jumbotron, I'm still going to try to go 30 for 30 for 29 or, or whatnot. Like, the fact is I've wanted to go to every NBA game and every NBA arena, so I'm going to keep doing that. And if the Jumbotron happens, great, and I would be excited for it, but – Regardless if I get on the Jumbotron or not, I'm still going to complete the 30 days and 30 NBA games. I would imagine doing this, and it's 30 for 30 for 30 on Instagram. He's David DeLooper. That, that doing this is a wonderful way to see the country and to check out different atmospheres at different games. What's been the, the coolest experience for you in the first 22? Sure. It's... Um... Hands down, it was going to the Staples Center on January 5th. Ended up going to the Clippers game at 12.30 and then the Lakers game at 7. And to see the Clippers and what they put on the court and their atmosphere and their fan base and then seven hours, see what see the stadium turned around and see the Lakers and LeBron and AD play, it was a dream. Um, both atmospheres and fan bases are so different. And, and the fact is, we got to see them in the same day within, you know, seven, eight hours of each other. So that was the coolest thing. And uh, it's tough to say, though. Some arenas, we're looking at them on a Monday night versus a Friday or Saturday night. So it's, it's very, each atmosphere is very different. And be honest here. What's the worst experience? What was the worst fan atmosphere at the first 22? Oh, man. So I, I will be honest <laughs> with you guys. I think uh, uh, I... I appreciate every NBA team and, and what every NBA team has to offer. I think we didn't see the Brooklyn Nets on a, on a great day. So I would say that was the second day of the trip. But, uh, yeah. The Brooklyn Nets was the worst 
fan experience. And you're, elaborate on that. What made it so bad? Um, I, I think we saw them, you know, the, the day after Christmas. It was a little bit of tough of an environment. Uh, they focused more um, kind of on the celebrities as opposed to a little bit of the fans. But uh, we also saw them play the Knicks. So there's a lot of Knicks fans there, which was tough. You know, it's a, it was a big game for them to see the Knicks versus the Nets. But it seemed like there was more Knicks fans in the arena. Okay, and one final question, and we have some music. I'm a bad dancer, too. So we're going to play a little music, and I want you to kind of teach me the moves. How would I get on the Jumbotron if I had a, a crawfish suit? All right, so let's yes. let's hit a little bit of music, bring it up as we go. Teach me the moves. Sure. So I'd say the first thing is you just raise the roof a little bit, you know? All right, raise all right. Raise the roof a little bit, right? Take like a single and then shot you the point at the cameraman. Point at the cameraman. And then okay. spread okay. your arms out. And then do, do another point, you know? Really, really make that connection with the cameraman. And then you can also, with your tweezers, you know, with your claws, just smile a little bit, you know? And then <laughs> okay, okay. pump. Yep. And then a little fist pump? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little pump, you know? And then back to the point. Okay, let me see if, if I got get, it. If so you get real lucky, you can stand up a little bit and do a spin. Oh, a little spin. Hold on, show me yeah, the spin, spin again. Yeah, a little spin. And then one more spin. Oh, look at that suit. And then, uh, and then with that, it, it should be successful. It, it should be. Uh, you should have enough to get you uh, to get you on the jumbo shot. <laughs> It's the raise the roof. It's the point. It's the arms out. It's the pinchers. I love it. David DeLuper just taught us Jumbotron 101. College professor might be your next great career <laughs> choice. We really enjoy the journey, David. Check them out. 30 for 30 for 30 on Instagram. Best of luck. Eight more games. Love to talk to you after the journey is concluded. Thank you, sir. Enjoy Nolens and the crawfish suit. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And fingers crossed we go 30 for 30 for 30. I love it, brother. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, Ross. David DeLuper is now uh, a lot like the NFL Wanderer we had on this program a, a couple of months ago who broke the record for most NFL games in the shortest amount of times. He hit all the NFL stadiums, all 32 in a Guinness Book of Record time. Uh, how would you like to see this country if you were going to pick a sporting event? So two things to say after that, Dave. Number one, I would want to get in an RV or a motorhome and go – from college football game to college football game, and probably even high school football game if I'm at it, but uh, primarily down south. Like I would envision driving from Clemson to, you know, perhaps Athens, Georgia, to Tallahassee, to Gainesville, to Tuscaloosa, you know, figure out who had a home game down south and go every Saturday and take my time on the trip, driving there, but get there Thursday, go to the best restaurant that they have there, go to that sub shop that all the students love. Like I would really wanna soak in the flavor of those colleges, those tailgate scenes. That's always been a dream of mine. That's number one. Number two, 
and maybe we can talk about this tomorrow. Yeah. I'm on the fence about David. I, I have not <laughs> decided yet whether I, I think David is awesome or n- not awesome. Um, so I, I got I, I got to sleep on it, I think, and figure out. I, I'm leaning heavily towards awesome, but I'm not all the way there yet. So maybe keep, that, that'll be the suspense for tomorrow. You did create a lot of suspense for me because I want to hear more about the not awesome. I love costumes, man. I'm a Halloween fan. I love the party city of the angle to that. And the fact that, I mean, we've had a, a shark costume on this suit and now a crawfish. So I am in for that. Also tomorrow, we'll have a fierce debate who wins the Packers-Niners games? Our friends at 105.7 in Milwaukee against 95.7, the game in the Bay Area. This will be fierce. It will get personal. And we will have a bet between these two on a Friday, home and home. I'm going to give the uh, crawfish goodbye. Raise the roof. Point at the camera. We'll see you tomorrow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 